The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Rameen. If you or someone you are close to is dealing with addiction, there are so many programs out there that can help you. But how do you gauge which ones are going to work the best for you? Some are expensive, some deal with some of the issues, but don't get to the heart of the matter. Others treat the problem at a basic level, but don't determine ultimate success. Join us now for an hour that sets out to be truly groundbreaking and will help you discover how to find the best program for your addiction problem. Now, here is Ross Rameen. Hi, welcome to the show. This is Ross Rameen. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, We are coming to you from Los Angeles, California at the Rebos Treatment Center. Um, And we are, I'm glad you're with us today. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today, we got a pretty special show for you. Uh, We have the CEO of Rebos uh, Treatment Center in. His name is Andy Fossum. He um, has got over 10 years of sobriety underneath his belt. Um, He has been there and he's done that and he's quickly climbed to the top. Um, of arguably the um, the largest treatment center here in Los Angeles. And we're just going to sit down with them today and hear about what the industry is doing, what it's like to be a sober guy in the industry, having absolutely nothing and quickly going up the, the ladder of life, so to say, and um, what he sees and what he doesn't see. Andy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You got it, buddy. Um, Andy, you've got how many years of sobriety do you have? A little over 10 and a half. He's got a little over 10 and a half years. What, where, you're you're originally from Chicago, yep. the Chicago area, and then you moved down to Florida um, as a as a kid, yep. correct? When, you know, I want to really, I want to break this down because we've got three different segments going on. Um, I, I want to kind of get into um, how, you know, you, I mean, it went, life went south for you, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. It went real south. When did that happen for you? You know, it, it's hard to place. Um, you know, life went south, um, you know, and, and it sounds funny, but probably when I moved south. Um, you know, I, I am the cliche of never knowing my father growing up and with just my mom and, you know, her working two, sometimes three jobs just to keep a roof over our head and food on the table. Um, you know, when I moved to, to Florida, um, you know, the, the little bit of family I had was in Chicago. So it was just me and my mom. So growing up, uh, when I started hitting that age of 10, you know, 11, 12 years old, I had no male role models. Um, You know, we didn't live in the greatest of neighborhoods. Um, So my role models quickly became guys that were hanging out on the street corner um, who were, you know, selling drugs, had money, had cars, had women around. They got the respect of the neighborhood. So my guidance and, and idea was that was what it was to become a man. So I had to mirror those people. Um, so that is really kind of where, um, this whole thing, you know, went south or or took off for me and my addiction was, you know, I was misinformed by misinformed people. It wasn't that I had any, you know, you didn't know any better. I didn't know any better. Right. You know, I didn't, you know, my mom did what she could, but when it came time for me to learn how to be a man, my mom was my mom. Um, 
you know, and, and all I knew were, were the guys on the corner and, and what you see on TV, really, to be honest with you. Um, I had a lot of hate and anger growing up because I never knew my father, um, you know, but that was what it was. I learned years later that my father was an addict, an alcoholic, a gambling addict, you know, mafia tie, the whole, the whole shebang uh, in Chicago. Um, didn't know that until I actually got clean, though. So, you know, yeah, I can say that now that I guess, you know, genetically, you know, whatever, there might have been something predisposed in me, um, but I didn't know any better at the time. So I started hanging out on a street corner and um, doing what I needed to do to fit in. Uh, and that is really where it took off for me. Um, hanging out, smoking cigarettes, drinking, smoking weed, learning how to hustle, sell drugs and, and earn respect that way. Um, so, you know, this whole thing started by me just trying to figure out how to be a man and being misinformed. Wow. You put your mom through a, through the ringer. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah. But she, she you know, she never gave up on me. She never uh, did? No. no. she get firm with you, though? Try. Try? Try. You know, there were moments, obviously, years later, I wasn't allowed in the house. Um, but, you know, whether it was taking a phone call or allowing me to you know, to shower and get a meal at a certain point, or if, you know, I was arrested, um, you know, she would come and visit me. You know, there was never a point in time where she was completely, you know, washed her hands of me. I don't want to see you anymore. Yeah. So, wow. yeah. And that was it. You know, I'm my mom's only child. Um, you know, and, and it, it, it was rough. It was rough. You know, there, she put the house up to bail me out of jail at one point. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was hopeless. I really was, you know, I grew up and I learned how to become a man running with gangs, running with street gangs, um, selling drugs, getting high, using drugs. Um, that was the only way I knew how to live. Uh, and that's coming from, you know, high school sports, having an opportunity to go to college to play football, but the drugs and, and you chose the other way. I chose a lifestyle. You could have gone right, but you went left. Absolutely. You know, it was a lifestyle choice at that point. And mm. it was, it, of course, it's about using but the lifestyle wasn't. It was a lifestyle. You know, I knew how to make money, and I was very good at what I did during that lifestyle. Um, and the only way for me to continue on in that lifestyle was to portray a certain image and act a certain way. Wow. And that led me deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole, so to speak. When did you? When? When were? You, did you start drinking and doing drugs? Like, how old were you? Uh, when it became a routine, twelve, thirteen. Um, What's I, a routine? starting to become on a regular basis no i know but what i know but what is that for a 12 or 13 oh. year old i didn't start doing i didn't start drinking or doing drugs till i was about 17 listen I have, so the, the age of 12 my dad died when i was 12 right. i couldn't find myself out of like i mean yeah yeah i i, I have a picture i still I hang it up today i have a picture when i was five years old taking a shot of whiskey with my grandfather mm. all the men in my family drank none of them are alcoholics they all drank <laughs> chicago born and bred you, you drink you go to work you watch football as long as you don't get out of line, it's acceptable. Yeah. Um, I started smoking cigarettes when I was nine. I was in Florida at this point in time. Uh -huh. And then when I was around 12 years old, I started looking for guidance. And these guys smoked weed, they drank. And anytime I tried to hang out with them or tried to be a part of, it involved, you know, drinking beer and smoking a little weed, smoking cigarettes and, and, and getting into those behaviors, getting into those patterns. Yeah. So by the time I was 14 or 15, I was smoking weed and drinking and, and, you know, stealing liquor from the cabinet and putting it in Gatorade bottles with Kool-Aid and bringing it to school. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. Wow. And drink, and smoking weed every day walking to, walking to school. Wow. So, yeah. 
that's where that kind of started. That's nuts. Um, what? When you got into high school, you, you did a brief stint in the military, correct? Yeah. How'd that come about? Uh, after high school, um, you know, it was, you graduated high I graduated school. Graduated high school primarily because I played sports. Yeah. Um, my GPA was, you know, in the crapper because all I did was get high. But I played football, I played basketball, and they needed to keep me eligible. So I wasn't by any means, you know, Ray Lewis or Michael Jordan. But, you know, I was good enough that they wanted me to make sure I was playing. Yeah. Um, you know, and I had, like I said, I had a little opportunity um, to attempt to go to college. I had a couple of uh, open letters for, 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 you know, to, for walk-ons and wanted me to show up, but I just never did. Uh, so I graduated high school. Did you think, I mean, when I, when I always talk to people, and you talk to them all the time, too. When did you realize that, like, something ain't right? Like, you know, you know what I mean? It's like you come, you move down, you moved to South Florida from Chicago. You're hanging out. You're, you're sweet. I met your mother. Yeah. Sweetheart. She'll be here Wednesday, by the way. I, 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 a total sweetheart of a lady. You know, you put that lady through living hell. You're, are you noticing that she's in living hell? Or when do you start like, this is not right. My life is not going well, but yet I'm still going to like, it's kind of like the line. I know my life's kind of a mess right now, but I'm still going to continue doing what I'm doing. When, when, when are you starting to see that? And then did that have anything to do with you joining the military for a while? Afterwards. Um, the first time was afterwards. I, I, I went in the military and, and, and I continued using, um, in the military. In the military. You know, the military back in the late 90s, you know, I, I had been arrested and there were some misdemeanors. And the military used to let you get out of these charges if you enlisted. We're at peacetime. It was no big deal. Um, you know, there's a big story about, you know, the whole military and, and a girlfriend that was pregnant at the time found out it wasn't my baby. That's a whole another segment by itself. Um, when I found out that the kid wasn't mine, I, I kind of lost it. Um, you know, I went to the military to try to go right this time instead of left and to clean up my act and i excelled in the military um but i kind of lost it at that point in time so i went awol uh i was a, a deserter from the army i was supposed to come to california for desert training and go to kuwait instead i was in south miami um and i ended up basically on the run from the government uh and homeless and using and getting high why'd you go awol from the from the from I, you know, when I, I, I was in the military to change my life and, and, you know, part of me, I never had a father. Part of me, I always wanted to be a dad. I always wanted to be what I never had. I wanted to break the cycle, um, all that good stuff. And I was clean for a little bit. Um, and then when you found out this kid I wasn't found yours, out the kid wasn't mine. I didn't care anymore. I, I just didn't something in me clicked and I was just like, I'm just, this isn't for me. You know, I'm not going to trust anybody anymore. I tried to do this for somebody else. You know, and I went on a self-destructive mission, um, literally. I wanted to, you know, go on a run that would take as many people down with me as possible. Because I was never the closet addict. I didn't, like, hide away from people. I didn't, you know, use and hide. I was out wide open in the streets. People wanted to be around me because of the things that I could do. That, that You know, people throw around the word karma, or not karma, um, charismatic, um, I don't know if that's true. I you just, have it. I just know that a lot of people wanted to be around me. No, you have a thing that people want to hang out with you. I mean, I see it every day. I mean, you just have one of those things where you don't have to say much. And just, I know, people are like, I think you always had a good soul. Right. I think that's probably maybe what they were seeing, too. 
I mean, I'm sure there's stuff that you were also, I mean, I had it too. I mean, you're doing a lot of stuff. It gets attention. You either have the drugs, you have the good time, right. you have whatever it is. But I think guys like you and I, not tooting my own horn, but I think I have it too. Like people like just good people inside. Yeah. Yeah. And there were, there were plenty of times where I knew the road I was going down. So I made sure certain people that I cared a great deal for stayed away from me mm-hmm. so that their life wouldn't be in jeopardy. Yeah. Um, and they're friends of mine. To That's a conscious day. decision to make. It is. It is, um, you know, but there was a moment where, you know, I, I was homeless and I knew that, you know, I was, you know, the old cliche of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, I kind of inverse that and always say I was sick and tired of being tired and sick all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that if I were to turn myself in, I would go to prison. And if I went to prison, I would have a place to sleep. I would have three meals a day. I would have a roof over my head. Um, and one of those turning points, you know, as you as you asked me, you know, when did I figure out that, you know, this was just the wrong way is when going to prison seemed like going on vacation. Dude, I had the same. <laughs> I had the same feeling. I remember getting picked up. I can't believe you, you're the only person I've ever heard say that. I had the same thing. I got picked up and I'm going to jail and I remember going, this is going to be okay because I think they've got drugs in there. And from what I've heard, I think we're going to be okay and I'm going to have a place to eat. I'm not going to have to sweat about the bills anymore. How jacked up is that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's just like, like shivers down my spine that you just said that when most people think about going to the beach or Hawaii and, you know, let's take a vacation into Bahamas. I just want a little five by eight cell and three hots in a cot and I'm good. That's a vacation. Wow. Yeah. That's a different, different, uh, those are definitely are not rose colored glasses. Uh, yeah, it's a different perspective in life. So that, that was probably the first, uh, first time I just knew that, you know, it was just, it was all going to end bad. Yeah. Um, you know, the second time when, you know, you asked about my mom was, a few years later after I had been introduced to recovery but struggled getting clean um, I was locked up again and my mom came to visit me and she told me in the visiting thing how happy she was that I was locked up and my initial thought I've heard parents say that before (laughs) my initial thought was the the addict in me was like how could you ever say that to me all this stuff and and I saw her you know on the other side of this glass crying um, telling me that she kept having these dreams that, you know, when she didn't know where I was and she didn't, she couldn't find me, that she was at my funeral, and that she had this feeling that if I wasn't locked up, that I was going to die. Yeah. And that was the only place that she knew I would be safe. And that was the first time that I realized what I had been putting my mom through for, you know, I, I got clean finally at 27 years old. So over the last 15 years, 14 years. The, the toll that it had taken. Wow. Clean at 27 years old. You went AWOL from the military. I was introduced to Narcotics Anonymous at 23, and I bounced in and out of the rooms and in and out of jail cells for four years. Wow. Never stepped foot in a treatment center. Every time I detoxed, it was on a couch or a jail cell. Wow. So before the age of, I mean, you lived three lifetimes before the age of 27. I mean, honestly, yeah. 
you go to the military to think that's going to straighten you up, you know, or to be more of a man or more of a father figure, be something different. You kind of, you know, didn't go your way, which was probably a good thing at the right. time. But right. you wanted to make it even a worse thing for you. You had a golden opportunity at your hands to be in the military to get these stuff pushed away. But you're like, no. And I got out right before 9-11 happened. We're talking to Andy Fossum right now. He is our CEO of Rebels Treatment Center. And um, and you're you're listening to a story and you're like, I can't believe this guy's the CEO of a treatment or of, of any company. Um, and uh, he's doing a hell of a job. We're Andy, we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna come right back. Um I want to get a little bit more into this with you um, and a couple other subjects about where the industry is going right now um, all together and um, just some stuff that you see and some uh, maybe some advice for some family members or people out there that are struggling. Absolutely. Okay, guys, we'll be right back. Thanks for joining us. This is the power to create yourself with Ross Ramin. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Getting sober isn't just about not drinking and not doing drugs. It's a way of life. At Rebos, we have a team of talented professionals, each with their own clear and distinct message to walk clients from the darkest point in their lives out into the light. Rebos offers a carefully curated selection of groups and workshops in addition to a minimum of six individual sessions per week. At Rebos, we believe there are no cookie-cutter clients, and we meet every individual where they are at today. It's not a Rebos program. It's your program. Our team wants to help as many people as possible become who they want to be. And if you don't know who you want to be, we'll help you. Visit Rebostreatment.com to learn more about the Rebos Treatment Center. That's R-E-B-O-S Treatment.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Ramin. To find out more about Ross and the program, visit the Rebos Treatment Center website at rebostreatment.com. Now, back to The Power to Create Yourself. Hi, welcome back to the show. Um, we are with Andy Fossum right now. He's the CEO of the Rebos Treatment Center um, here in Los Angeles, California. We are where we are broadcasting from today. And Andy, we were talking about in the last segment, you've had a hell of a life, dude. Um, you know, you and I have talked a lot. We're with each other every single day. You actually took over my job. Um, I gave my job up to, to Andy to, to do so I can go out and talk on the radio. Um, that's what I do in my little room. Um, but you're doing a hell of a job. Now, I, I, want, I think it's really important that the listeners, we had a job interview. But I didn't ask you about this stuff. I knew that you had a past because the majority of the people in our industry do have a past, but there is no industry like the one that we are in 
where somebody can be homeless, in and out of prison, jail, whatever you call it, you know, three meals, what was it, three hots and a cot? Three hots and a cot, and you're addicted to drugs, you're addicted to booze, you're running with gangs, you're in and out, you know, you're on the corner, as they say, you're driving your mom insane, you join the military to get yourself straight, you go AWOL from the military, so now you're a fugitive of the U.S. government, and now you're a CEO of arguably the largest treatment center in Los Angeles, and most people are like, you could have done a background check, you know, which we did, but there is so much knowledge in that. You have a PhD in life. You have a PhD in what doesn't work in this world. And I think that's why I had my successes because, you know, you can't, how do you help people get out of hell with, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but there's no PhD that can, has been through more crap than you and I have been through more shady situations with guys, with girls, with dudes we don't know their names, with girls we don't know their names, in places we don't know their names, right. <laughs> in places we'd like to forget. How do you get people out of this help? And there's no better CEO for somebody like this than with all this. It's like part of our <laughs> part of interviewing for jobs in our industry is like, let's see your rap report because it really it gives you more street, it gives you more credit. I mean, it's like master's degrees. It's like master's degrees and what doesn't work. You have obviously gotten yourself out of a hole, a hell of a hole. So, I mean, I've got, there's a thousand different ways to take this conversation. Um, And I want, I think the big, the first way is, well, let me ask you this. (laughs) Before we get on to how your story, your past relates, because you also, I mean, you do a certain amount of intakes, you do a certain amount of meeting with moms, dads, loved ones. But before we get to that, when did it click for you that you're like, I got to get my ass sober? When did it click for you? What Was there a situation or was there a day? Both. It was a situation in a day. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that, you know, I spent four years bouncing in and out of rooms, putting a month here, a month there together. Um you know, that last, uh, you know, little bit that I was in jail, I told you that my mom visited me and, and, and told me that yeah. um, I got out about a year later uh, and still struggled for, you know. About you were in the jail in South Florida? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, God, that and, had to have been and, hot as hell. And oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and you know, it was. It must have been hotter than hell. <laughs> I, I had put together about 90 days. It was the longest time I, I had been clean. And I went unused again. After you um, got out. After I got out, yeah. I put together about 90 days. and went, went Were you back. sober while you were in there? Most of the time, yeah. Most of the time. I, I, I got to use... Not by choice, by because you were in jail. Right, correct, correct. Um, you know, and after putting together 90 days on, you know, on the outside, feeling good, I went out and used again. And like that, I was in South Miami. I was out of dope. I was out of money in a matter of hours. And, and I remember, and, and I kid you not, I'll never forget this because I think about it almost every day. I was sitting in a car in South Miami and I had a pistol in the passenger seat and I kept staring at myself in the rearview mirror thinking, I can't get this. Like I just, there's, it's something's wrong with me and I can't get clean. And then I kept thinking about my mom um, and that if I did what I was thinking about doing, she would never know what happened to me. So I went to my mom's house um, and knocked on the door and basically just apologized for being and excuse my language but a piece of shit of a son 
um, told her that she would, you know, be much better off without me taking her life down, uh, and basically asked for permission to kill myself. And for the first time in probably 15, 20 years, I bawled. I mean, I cried like a baby in my mom's arms. And that was that was it. That was it. That was May 6, 2006. I have not found a reason to use since then. Um, you know, a little over 10 and a half years ago. And since then, it has been it has been one hell of a fight to get to where I am now. Wow. That's nuts. I mean, asking your mom for permission. I'm sorry, I'm driving your, you know, screwing your life up. It's pretty naughty. Bravo, dude. Thank you. And it's been, and so that, so what'd you do that day? I went to a meeting that night, um, and there was a, there's this, there's this old Italian guy that had bare, you know, kind of dealt with me. Let's call it that, dealt with me for the last four years of bouncing in and out. Uh, old Italian guy from the Lower East Side of, of New York. Um, his name is Lenny, and I'll never forget this guy because you can't forget him. Um, I showed up at this meeting in, in Fort Lauderdale. Um, I got out of the truck I had at that time, and I couldn't hold it together. I was in shambles. Um, I had been crying all morning with my mom. Um, you know, I get out of the truck, and the first person I see is this, this guy, um, and he says, what's the matter? I said, you know, I just used again. Um, and he looked at me, he goes, you're here. We don't shoot our wounded. You're home. You know, and something about that, and it still brings tears to mind, something about that made me feel so good uh, because I had never, in my, where I was at for the last 15 years, I never felt like I would ever have a home. Um, and I sat in this meeting, I picked up a white chip, and I listened to him speak, and I've heard him so many other times before, but something about what was happening. You know, I, I, I'm the guy that shows no emotion. You know me by now. Yeah. I'm the guy that shows no emotion. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm as hard as nails, but I'm a soft spot behind closed doors because I want to have a chat with you and get down to what's, what the root of the problem is. Um, I sat in this meeting and cried. The whole, the whole meeting, I had tears in my eyes uh, because I knew that if I used again, I would die. There was no, there was no keep coming back. There was no, you know, I'll just pick up a white chip tomorrow. Uh, I knew that if I used again, I would die. Uh, and I think that that is where, accepting that is where my recovery started. Because there were no more excuses, there were no more, well, you know, I'll just sleep it off or I'll get a white chip or, I'll, you know, if I use again, I'll die. And I've maintained that mentality since that day. If I use again, I will die. And that helps, you know, in all the good times, bad times, and the thoughts that come and go. Mm. I just revert back to that day with a white chip in my hand. If I use again, I'll die. Yeah. And that's one of the things I keep dear to my heart and, and memories I keep in the forefront. Wow. It's pretty nuts to think that. Now, you help people on a daily basis get into treatment. Mm -hmm. You help them get out of trouble. I mean, you're you're... Yeah, you're CEO, but you should probably, you know, we should retitle you as like just problem solver. You know, it's what it is. You're a cleaner. So you do, you clean. I I, I approach, you know, I, I approach this industry, my job, the title, what I do, uh, based off of what I've been told my whole life. Um, prior to getting clean, I was always that guy that you don't want to be around him. Don't let him in our house. He's no good. He's this, he's that. He'll never amount to anything. 
you know, where I come from, and a lot of the kids that we see bounce in and out of these treatment centers, in and out of jails, they're told that same thing their whole life. And you're told something enough, you start to believe it. Um, when I was able to start changing my life and develop my own thoughts about myself, uh, you know, it, it's been my goal and my mission to help people that believe that they can't change. It's one thing to get clean. Um, you know, a lot of people come from different areas, different walks of life. You know, some have it easier than others. It's not my position to say who has it easy, who doesn't. But for those that have a common belief that they're nothing and they can't change, those are the people I want to go after. Um, those are the people that I'll meet on the street corner and help them do whatever it takes to get to a meeting, to get into treatment, to get wherever is needed. Um, I know. love being in the business of second chances. Yeah. I mean, that's what we are, even though it could be their 12th chance, right. but it, you know, second chance. Right. You never know when it's somebody's time to get it. You never know. It's unbelievable. No, that's what we do. That it's so difficult. You know, I, having done your job, <laughs> it's, it is the most frustrating job on the planet. You're watching guys, pretty girls blow their brains out on a daily basis. I remember I worked at a detox. My first job was a tech at a detox in, in, in Florida. Um, ended up becoming you know supervisor and then assistant program director. But I'll never forget the first email I got of a client dying. And I'll never forget this kid because he was 20 years old. And he had come back to that detox for I think the third or fourth time in the same amount of months that I had been there. And I sat down with him and I asked him what we always ask you know, what are you doing? When are you going to stop this? And his reply was so truthful. I had no answer for him. He literally sat there and told me, I'm not done. Wow. What do you say to that? To a 20 year old kid. Two weeks later, I got an email that he was found dead on the side of the road. We hear that so much. Right. Uh, since then, I mean, you hear it nonstop, but I'll never forget the way I felt and, and, and what it meant to try to just put myself out there you know i'm an open book to people i'll tell i'll tell clients anybody you know meetings my story if it helps somebody it is what it is you know what i mean and my sole purpose and what i do is to try to help one person change their life so yeah it's nutty the jobs that we do i always say you know we there's a guy who he runs a treatment center here in southern california and i I think he's just one of the smartest guys I know. And um, he just, he had said to me, he goes, you, uh, we travel in a very dark, dark world mm -hmm. on a daily basis. And it's so true. Um, and I'm not trying to make it sound romantic by any means, because it's, I mean, it's, it's straight up. It's a kick in the teeth most days. Oh, yeah. It's a kick in the teeth most days. Most days. I mean, it's just like. You know, and it, but it's like, I don't know what makes it, though. But getting out of bed every day, it's for me, it's a Christmas morning most days. Unless I'm just sick as a dog or right. something's going on. But most days I get out of bed, I'm like, let's see who we can fix today. Right. Um, and how do we how do we make a difference? Because sometimes it just it feels like, I don't know, for me, and I, I know you feel this, too. It's like, see, like you're just kind of you're. You're pedaling real fast, but you ain't going nowhere. Right. I think I made the comment to you a week or two ago that there was so much going on one weekend. You, you know, the thought creeps up where it's just like, you know, you're banging your head against the wall to just try to save one more person. And it's like, what are you doing it for? 
sometimes it's very easy to lose sight of that when there's so much outside noise and we get cussed at all the time though too right and the shady the griminess and the this to that and you know you know what kills me though is that you know there's a shadiness in our business there's a griminess in our business but you know the the thing that really gets me that that doesn't bother that bothers me because right. I I hate that. But what really chaps my hide, that just uh, just drives me so nuts, mental, is when somebody calls you up and they're like, "I need help. I'm dying. This has gone on. I've lost my car, my house, my wife, my dog, my goldfish. You name it. They're all yelling at me right now. Right. Okay." And you bring them in, you bust your butt, you drive to, you drive to like, literally like God knows where to pull them out of God knows what, you know, and you're throwing them over your shoulder and you help them out. And then about a week later, they're like, they cuss you out. They, they say that you're screwing them. They're like, and I'm like, you name it. They call you. And it's like, I, I'm helping. You called me. (laughs) You called me right. to help you get out of a hole that was filled with booby traps and all this stuff, and your whole world's falling down. And you asked me my advice on how to get out of it, you know. And if I told you to stick your finger in a pencil sharpener, I'll tell you right now, it's a hell of a lot better than what you were doing before. Right. And you're cussing me out. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what really kills me. It's the clients, you know, people, everybody's just going to be smack talking smack and yelling at everybody. So I, that is what that's, that's what really, that's what wears down on me because it's so unthankful at times and you'll get somebody straight and you don't hear back from them at times, um, that they are straight, which, which they don't need to call back, but man, it would be really nice because it would just be like, just tell me, just shoot me an email. Tell me you're doing well because I got 20 people back here telling me I'm the worst person on the planet because I got them off heroin. Yeah, it's definitely because <laughs> they're jamming a needle in their arm and I'm the worst person on the right. planet. And that might sound crazy to us, our listeners that are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, deal with a yeah. pissed off heroin addict that hasn't had heroin in two weeks and you're like getting their life back together and they literally, their head is so twisted and so mangled that they think you're totally screwing them over. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's not for the, the faint at heart or the thin skin. No, oh it definitely God. is not. Um, um, but in the midst of all that, there's always one that, that you help out and are so eternally grateful for everything that you do. And, you know, and we have clients here, and, and one of which, you know, I pointed out to you a few weeks ago. Um, half the time, I don't even remember what I did for them, other than I picked up the phone and, and listened to them, you know, cry on the other end of the phone, and, and they needed help. and you know, I got them help and they're here and they're doing great. You know, to me, it's what we do. It's what we extend to everybody every day. Yeah. Um, but it's the exact opposite of what you said. I mean, for every 20 of those or, 30, you know, however many it is, there's always one that they're just, they're at that moment where they're ready to live life and to stop doing this. I want to take a quick break real quick. And then I, and, um, when we come back from a break, I want to talk about how you talk, how you reach out to people, how you touch people, how you get them in here, how you relate to them, how you make them want to get sober because you you have a gift. You really do. Um, and I want to start giving people hope of what we do. And I think we're pretty damn good at it. Absolutely. Um, so we'll be right back. Thanks for joining us.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Getting sober isn't just about not drinking and not doing drugs. It's a way of life. At Rebos, we have a team of talented professionals, each with their own clear and distinct message to walk clients from the darkest point in their lives out into the light. Rebos offers a carefully curated selection of groups and workshops in addition to a minimum of six individual sessions per week. At Rebos, we believe there are no cookie-cutter clients, and we meet every individual where they are at today. It's not a Rebos program. It's your program. Our team wants to help as many people as possible become who they want to be. And if you don't know who you want to be, we'll help you. Visit Rebostreatment.com to learn more about the Rebost Treatment Center. That's R-E-B-O-S Treatment.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Ramin. To find out more about Ross and the program, visit the Rebos Treatment Center website at rebostreatment.com. Now, back to The Power to Create Yourself. Hi, welcome back to the show. This is Ross Ramin. We're coming to you from the Rebos Treatment Center. We're talking to Andy Fossum, who's the CEO of Rebos um, here in Los Angeles. Um, Andy, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. You've got a hell of a story, um, and uh, which makes you the perfect, um, you know, leader of this uh, of this mothership, so to say. Um, you've been there. You've done it. Um, you know, there's you didn't skin your knee. You um, you were going to kill yourself. And you know, a lot of people I know that will listen to this. They see that as a sign of weakness, but it's just like. How you know this person wanted to kill themselves? They must not be very strong, or this or that. No, you weren't, right? You right. weren't, but you became unmovable. I mean, in a lot of, I mean, we all have our days and we all have right. our weaknesses. Um, but before you were blowing, if the wind was blowing from the south, you were you were going wherever the wind was blowing you. Absolutely. And now it's you have become such a force in the industry in here in Los Angeles. Um, you were an absolute force to be reckoned with when it comes to, um, you know, our colleagues in the community and then also the clients that we get in and how you talk to them. Um, and my, my question is, is what do you think, what do you do that? I mean, I have my way that I talk to, you know, families and all that, that I think I'm okay at. Um, and, um, and you have your way. What, what do you do? I want tell you know the people that are listening to us they've got a loved one they've got somebody out there maybe it's themselves how, how do you how do you take care of them how you're like you know how do you get them to trust you you know i'm i'm very i'm very much uh up front i'm very blunt but not to the extent where i'm trying to to prove a point because what i do is um, I don't talk like a salesperson. I don't talk like a CEO. I don't talk like a marketer. I don't talk like this, that, or the other. 
uh, somebody's on the phone, whether it's mom, dad, you know, somebody who, who needs help, um, I talk to them as another recovering addict. Uh, I, I, I just one addict to another. That's it. That's it. I'll meet you. You know, one of the things that, you know, we always talk about it as far as the way that we treat clients here is to meet them where they're at. If where they're at is on the street corner asking for help, you know, I've seen so you do that, you know, then that's where I'm going. Then that's where the conversation literally, 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 you know, all the education in the world. And we talked about it earlier. You know, I have I have degrees in finance. I have master's degree credits in three different universities in the country. And that's great. Those are all, you know, rock solid things education wise. So wait, you have you have a master's degree in three different universities in this country. And what else do you have? I have, I have credits for a credits. master's degree. Yeah. I have a bachelor's so you degree got in to master level school after being a drug addict yeah. on a corner wanting to kill himself, went AWOL from the U.S. military, became a fugitive of it, did a year in jail in South Florida, yeah. and um, and you did okay in high school. Right. And Graduated magna cum laude at University of South Florida, a bachelor's in finance, um, was accepted to University of Miami for a master's program. I have credits at Florida Atlantic University for an MBA and a master's in finance, and I am at Pepperdine right now for a master's degree. You know, and people are always like, you can't change. Right. That's a hell of a story to tell somebody as you're bringing them in. But, you know. And, but they and can't even see that, though. They can't. Absolutely not. And But the funny part is, is is that you take all that away from me. I'm just another recovering addict. You know, I, I, I tell whether it's clients, whether it's family members, whether it's you or I talking. You, you can strip away, you know, take away everything. Take away this, the title, the, the motorcycle. It, it, it doesn't matter. Um, what matters is, is, is my sobriety, my clean time, who I am as a person now today, as mm -hmm. opposed to who I once was. Um, and that's where I meet people at clients are on the phone with me. Yes. There are formalities, you know, where are you, what are you using all this good stuff? But at the end of the day, people get comfortable with me because I'm honest. And, and I don't mean that to like, you know, try to convince you that I'm an honest guy. I mean, I'm honest about myself to where I will put myself out there for anybody, whether it's in person on the phone. Listen, I know what you're going through. And I'm not going to tell you that to try to sell you something. I'm going to show you an example of, of my own story, just as I did today. Um, it, it, it just needs to be this way. There's, there's, there's no hidden agendas. There's no, uh, you know, I'm trying to beat around the bush at something. Um, if you want my help, I'll do everything I can to help you, even though if you don't, even if you don't come to Rebos, I've done it for a number of number of people. Um, you know, it's just it's just that I want to meet you where you're at, and I want to help you get whatever it is you need to get. Because, you know, when everybody else wrote me off in my life, there were a couple of people that didn't. And it was because of those couple of people that didn't that when I was finally ready, and I came to that point where. Where it was, it became life or death. Not get high or get clean. Yeah. Um, it was because of those couple of people that never turned their back on me that I was able to, to get started. Well, what do you, what do you think right now is where our industry is in a hellhole? I I think it is. Right. I think our industry is in a hellhole. We're the ugly stepchild, kicked to the side in healthcare. Um, I think we have more people, we have, depending on the statistics that you read, we have between 150 and 300 people die per day, 150 to 300 people. They can't even come up with the right number, but that are in alcohol or drug related deaths. So DUIs, overdoses, you name it. What, 
where are we at right now? What do you see going on for, for like, just, I mean, this is every year. I hate the new year business-wise because it's like what regulations is going to be brought down on us to make it so much more difficult for us to do our job, to help people. Because right now, these insurance companies are giving us literally like a sport <laughs> to eat a you know, a fine, you know, steak dinner at Mastro's, we have to eat it with a spork, you know, like this weird spoon fork concoction <laughs> thing. And they're giving us this, you know, two inch thick, you know, New, New York strip and the whole thing's done up. And it's like, here's like nothing to get this done. What, what do you, what are you seeing? What, talk to me about it. You know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. And quite honestly, it's sad. Um, this is an industry that is based on helping people helping people change their lives, get clean from, you know, drug addiction, alcohol, everything. Um, and because of the rising epidemic of whether it's op- opioid use and, you know, everything you see on the news from the Northeast to the Midwest and um, the number of addicts skyrockets every year. Um, people that are going untreated, um, dying, uh, you know, anywhere from kids. Apparently there's like 10 million people out there and we only touched two. Right. Last year, and you know, you take that, and then you take people that start treatment centers, you know, and and it's become an exploitation of the insurance companies. Um, so now you have an industry that is saturated with people that, under the premise that they're they're there to help one another, uh, but they're not. You know, there's there's a lot of, and that's you know when we talk about you know some of the shady things that go on is all this stuff just to make a dollar, you know, all this stuff to just kind of rig the system, so to speak, you know, whether it's treatment centers or, or, or whatever it is, there's always an angle. Um, and it becomes so convoluted that you don't know who the good guy and who the bad guy is. The insurance companies don't know. I mean, we as individuals know whether we're doing something right or wrong every day. Um, how do I know that, you know, John Doe down the street who just popped up a new IOP, I don't know who he is. I don't know if he's doing what he say he's doing or not. So the, how's the insurance company going to know? So now, you know, the two out of 10 million that were, you know, being treated are, are you know, just running rampant on, on, you know, the insurance companies and they're tired of it because they don't know who's doing what. Yeah. Um, you know, you see it on the news now, um, you know, the feds are cracking down in Florida, uh, you know, with these sober livings and, and all the kinds of, you know, nonsense going on there. And, um, you, you know, and, it, and it's come to a point where because the insurance companies don't know who's doing right and who's doing wrong, everybody's going to suffer. Yeah. Um, and until there's a way to actually prove you're doing something right or wrong, everybody's going to continue to suffer. And it's unfortunate because it's usually the people that are doing something right that get hurt first because they're the ones that aren't, um, you know, double, triple, quadruple billing an insurance company for something and, you know, trying every which way to make a dollar and, and, you know, stacking the deck so that if it all falls apart, they can just open up another one. Um, it's usually people that are doing something right that don't really have, you know, a whole lot in reserve, so to speak, to, to fend off some of these things. Yeah. Um, so it is, it's sad, you know, and, you know, I know that there, there are a lot of people that get sucked up into this client wise. You know, people are getting paid to go places and, you know, offered drugs to stay at, at certain, whether it's rehabs or sober livings. And, you know, it, it's gotten to a point where um, 
It drives me nuts. It's insane. I mean, that people are, I don't think people realize this. People are offered drugs to leave one treatment center and go to another. We've been accused of it. Everybody's like, it's like, are you like, what is wrong with this industry that we're in? That it's like, I've never seen such like people like just wanting to screw. I mean, it's old. It's just drug addict behavior. It's a bunch of, it's untreated, it's sober people. And it's like, I always say, being sober, physically sober is one thing. Being emotionally sober is a whole nother thing. And there's a lot of physically sober people, which, you know, I guess the old term is dry drunk, that are like running around making a ton of money and making us all look like a bunch of chums by just their actions, what's going on. And it's, I think you're right. I think the good people are going to get screwed out of this. And the insurance companies don't know what to do. So they're just going to cut everybody else off. And it's like, oh, my God, it's like, you know, it's, it's insane, especially coming from Florida, which a lot of this started from, um, I, you know, and, and you know this story, and, and, and I don't ever say this just to uh, kind of boost you up, but, you know, I was, I, I wanted to walk away from this industry. Um, you know, I have enough education where I can do whatever I, I want to do, you know, but I flew out here and I met you and you and I chatted for a number of hours and I literally moved across the country um, for for the ideas and, and the philosophy that you mind. have here. <laughs> You're uh, out of your mind. <laughs> I didn't ask you to say that, but you know, I appreciate it. No, but I, I didn't I, ask you to say no, that. I don't. I don't say that to say anything other than you know there there comes a point in time where you know the good guys, so to speak, need to need to help each other out and band together. Um, you know, when I say, when I told that story, it's not that, you know, I'm trying to boost you up on a pedestal. It's just that, you know, there are certain ideas that this industry was founded on that still exist if you find the right people. Um, and and everything that we do here is, are those ideas, um, those philosophies, meeting a client where they're at, individualized treatment. And this isn't a plug for Rebos. This is a plug for this industry, this industry, because it's not about how fast you can turn a dollar. This industry is supposed to be on how many clients you can help overcome addiction. There's not a dollar sign in that. There really isn't. Yeah. No, it's a what? It's a frustrating gig. It really is. I think there needs to be some sort of, you know, and you know what? I, yeah, I blame it on us. But you know what? I also blame it on the insurance business, Absolutely. too. I mean, and I also blame it on our state. I blame it on, you know, the states that are out there that license these places. They're doing a half-assed job. You know, it's like they don't even know what's going on. Mm-hmm. They have, they have, they're so behind. They don't know what's going on. We're just, something's got to, I don't know. Something's got to change that we got to make this, that we can do it. And some people are doing, trying to do the right job and they're trying to, you know, you know, get some people together and take it to the streets and do all this and whoop whoop and get some signs. But it's like we got to come up with something a little bit, a uh, little bit more fancy to 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 kind of roll this stuff over. It's too much. It is. It is. And you know, and all that's you know, joining forces and you know, grabbing signs and hitting the streets and and that's all that's all fine and dandy for a weekend activity. Um, you know, but the truth of the matter is, is 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 operating your business ethically and um you know doing the right thing and staying the course um that'll always stay true to the test of time you know it just will um you know i i 
I would much rather be able to sleep at night, and, and you know this, um, and you and I both actually say this. Um, I operate here at Rebos wherever, you know, anything that I do the same way I operate my own recovery. Do I have flaws? Absolutely. Do I make mistakes? Sure. Um, but I will do whatever it takes to keep, you know, keep my side of the street clean, to keep doing the next right thing, to keep, you know, progressing and growing as an individual. And the only way I can do that for Rebos is to do that for myself. Yeah. Um, everything has to line up. You know, I can't have the, the hidden agendas that, um, you know, some other people might have, you know. Um, I just can't. And there's going to come a time where, you know, it's, it's yes, people have to band together and look out for one another, but everybody has to line up. Yeah. And we're not in an industry where people line up. The ideas line up, the actions yeah. don't. Yeah, everybody's yelling at each other too much. Too much talking, not enough listening. Right. Um, Andy, I can't thank you enough for joining us today, man. Absolutely. I really appreciate, appreciate it. it. You're doing a hell of a job here. Um, clients love you. The staff loves you. Thanks for being here. Thanks I really appreciate it. Um, thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll be back next week. Um, and um, thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon. This is Ross Ramin, and this is The Power to Create Yourself. Thank you for joining us this week on The Power to Create Yourself. We hope to have you tune in again next Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, for another edition with Ross Ramin on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have an enlightening week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.